Welcome to the Chef of X podcast. I'm going to start off with a little, like a lighter, less, you know, philosophical question, which is, how well do prisons pay attention to the health of inmates? Like, what what happens if somebody becomes sick? So, uh, again, prisons, I'm not as sure. I've heard that prisons handle things slightly better than jails. But, um... Or, or jails. Like, whatever you know. Yeah, okay, yeah. From what I know, generally speaking, you, um, it depends on, like, the inmates have to advocate for themselves. But there are opportunities every morning for you to advocate for yourself. The problem is, the opportunity is at four in the morning. Oh. So you also have to, you can't be so sick that you can't get up at four in the morning. If you're that sick, then you're past the, you know, there's diminishing returns, basically. And uh, you're past the point where you can advocate for yourself. Um, what services you could receive? I mean, I guess basic health care. Um, but I, I don't know the full range. Um, I did end up going to a hospital, like outside of the jail, which is like a huge field trip for an inmate. Because they suspected, like, something came through in my blood test or something like that, that I had some kind of a skin condition. And they thought, oh, well, it could be really serious condition, or it could be that you're, like, over-exercising and you don't have the right nutrition. And they didn't know which way to go, so they just decided um, one, one of them was easier to test or something like that. And... Uh, like they transported me to the hospital and I just walked. It was just just me and one um, uh, guard and I'm just walking around like Valley Med in chains. And uh, to me, I remember it as, as a good day though because like I was out for one day out of whatever. And uh, But I say all that to say there, there are medical services and it is possible to get referred to like a more intense healthcare um, facility for inmates. I, I don't know what the criteria is. I don't know what the cap is for like the cost of a procedure. But you can imagine um, one reason why perhaps prisons would be better is because they have these people who are living there for the rest of their lives. So if you need whatever you need, you have to get it through uh, at the time when you're incarcerated as opposed to people who might get out later. Maybe they wouldn't prioritize them at the top. That's, that's good to know. What about people who are incarcerated with health issues like addiction and, you know, how are they treated medically? Because, I mean, sorry to cut you off, but um, an example is you can get arrested on drug possession charges and if you possess hard drugs, chances are you're probably using them. And if you're using such drugs, chances are you're addicted to them. So what happens to people like that? They obviously need psychological help as well as physical help and rehab. So, Yeah, 
mostly uh, there, that's it's still from what I've seen that's still a, a lacking uh, part of the jail system that I experienced because the only person that I saw actually like I don't know what it means for one person but you know have you heard of recidivism um no okay so there's a phenomenon where people who go to jail or prison return to jail or prison in a very short period of time usually within three months so um, after their release even if they served a really long sentence so um there's this idea of like yeah why the question is why why do people keep coming back well i don't know the reason but i do know that the one person that i saw come back was a serious addict and um he his drug of choice was methamphetamine oh and uh, by the way that's the norm for most people uh, for some reason in uh, i guess in san jose that's the thing right now but most people who were addicts did methamphetamine um which i mean a whole other part of this is that not only like a huge percentage of the people in jail are 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 there because they're addicts so um, or something that's a direct consequence of them being an addict. Uh, so it's not like this is some small, obscure part of the population. No, this is like... The, the, I mean, the, the addicts and the people who were just homeless make up the majority, probably. And then the minority are the people who are like, yeah, I rob banks. So, <clears throat> anyhow... As far as addiction, the treatment seemed to be that they'd put you in one unit to detox, and then after you had detoxed, I don't know what anything about what that's like, then they would transfer you to a regular unit. But there are a couple of people that I met that were still detoxing when they were transferred into the regular unit um, off of a new guy, off of heroin. Um, he was like, what's wrong? You guys have never seen somebody kicking hot? <laughs> Which I hadn't heard of before, but... Um, but yeah, I mean, mostly it involves people sleeping a lot um, from the outside, uh, sleeping all day, getting up, scarfing food, and just sleeping ridiculous hours. Um, but the treatment seems to be that they're just leaving people alone. And the thing is, there are drugs in the jail, too. So if you want to, you can be an active user while you're in jail, and certainly while you're in prison. So... Um, the psychological help, I don't think there, that was emphasized at all. And that's what leads to people like the person I saw, who, who I think he was only out for three months. And when I met him, here's a disturbing thing. When I met him, he was, he had been in the jail before me, and I came in, and uh, he was one of the more positive people, because he was really into fitness. So he was like a, almost a bodybuilder type. And he cared about which foods he ate, and he was very, you know, we counted each push-up. And then he left, but when he came back, ah, oh man, he was like a skeleton. I didn't even recognize him because all of his muscle mass was gone. So it's not just that he had returned, but, like, apparently he was, like, a really active user for the time that he was out. And a part of that usually involves you not sleeping, not eating. And, um, and the drugs by themselves will deteriorate your skin. And uh, I mean, the, the, the tragedy for, with addiction is that the question is how much control does this person really have over their decisions versus someone who's not addicted to that substance. And it seems to be limited.
do the authorities pay attention to medical or I mean mental health at all like before during and after an arrest like are are people like are people who are arrested who have mental health issues given special treatment in any way not not medical treatment but the way they're treated by the cops or guards or whatever I think yes um, especially if you're a lawyer suggests that you have mental health issues or that your lawyer acknowledges that you do but not every cop, not, not in your day-to-day -day life, no. Um, but you may be housed in a different place if you have mental health issues, um, which maybe have more favorable conditions. Um, you may be referred to psychological staff um, if you have mental health issues, but a lot is also based on... So, so your, your lawyer can help you in that sense. Um, but also it's based on you advocating for yourself. Like every unit has some system in place such that if you're threatening suicide, that they acknowledge that as, okay, we have to change the way we're treating this person. Or change their housing usually is what it boils down to. Um, but one thing that can happen is that uh, also the judge can consider, could look at things very differently. In Santa Clara County, there's a mental health treatment court, which is world-renowned, last time I heard. Certainly, Santa Clara County has some of the most money invested in um, mental health. Then uh, I'm not sure if that's the criminal justice system or just in general. But uh, in this county, it makes a huge difference. I suspect that in other counties, that's not the case. But there are people who've had serious charges and uh, pretty much gotten out and under the condition that they um, sign up for a rigorous mental health treatment program. Um, but yeah, it happens. Although I should add in that in my experience, most of the inmates hate everything. It's almost like everything, everything that the regular society would acknowledge as a positive and good thing, they all, like the inmates hate. A great example of that is probation um, or uh, agreeing to participate in a mental health treatment program or agreeing to be uh, drug tested. Um, a lot of things that will help you in the long run, like make you eligible for different types of expungement, um, give you an opportunity to show that you're complying with you know, society, like a middle ground basically. Uh, most inmates seem to hate that. Like, no, I'd rather just, I don't want any mental health treatment. I don't want this. I don't want that. I just want to do my full time and then be released. Because if you do your maximum amount, then when you're released, you're not on probation or parole, I think. Last time I heard. Then again, you know, it's all hearsay. <laughs> so, but, yeah. Part of their. Part so there's like a culture, too, that's, that really isn't aligned with the reality of the criminal justice system that plays a role in people's decisions. So even prisoners have, like, inmates have a stigma against mental health treatment, not only for, like, social reasons, but because it, you know, like, it'll, it'll affect 
their legal record and stuff like that? I don't know if I don't know the real reason why, um, but it could probably improve the legal record um, because again, you're eligible for different types of expungement. That's strange. Why? I think it's. It seems like it's. It was mostly a pride thing because you're being watched by other people. And in a weird way, some people considered, some people considered prison like slightly more free than jail, and which is again counterintuitive from if you've never been involved in that world. But I think what mattered to a lot of inmates was more about the feeling of control or like on a day-to-day basis, are they, do they have to do anything that's humiliating that the guards are enforcing. And um, apparently that happens less often in prison. I don't know. But um, you're being a little bit more babysat in jail. And probation, to follow the same line of thinking, would be a case where you think that you're free, but then you still have to answer to this person you know, X amount of times per month. And that could chip away at your pride, I think. Um, because a lot of people, when they get out of jail, the communities that they go back into are communities where maybe crime is the norm, or et cetera, et cetera. So they're expected, there's a pressure that they continue in the same lifestyle that kind of got them in jail in the first place. And if, you know, if they fail to meet those expectations of their peers because probation officer XYZ made them test and do this, they want to drink, they want to commit small crimes here and there, then that can get in the way of their lifestyle and they can feel like they're more, I don't know, they're being disrespected even more than if they were just in prison that whole time. How did your experience change you? And I mean, that's a pretty open-ended question. How did it affect your relationships? Uh, well, the main way that I think it changed me was um, overwhelmingly uh, the mental health side. I became a lot more aware of uh, my own mental health because I was like diagnosed and treated while I was incarcerated. So I went in, went out completely in psychosis. I basically didn't have a solid connection with reality anymore. Um, but then I lived at a psych hospital for three months, and that was kind of the best possible, in my opinion, uh, mental health training that I could have gotten because you have the trifecta. Like you have experienced hallucinations, delusions, but then you're not anymore. That's one. Two, you're around professionals who've studied mental health, like psychiatrists, psychologists, and they're teaching you things about uh, various symptoms and uh, medications. So that's two. And three, there are other people who are somewhere on the spectrum of where you either were or are. Like they're currently experiencing delusions and hallucinations and they're in the psych hospital or they've experienced them and got over them or like they still think that you know the the deepest level of a delusion is if you you're sure that you're in reality when you're not so that you could have that going on 
um, like people were making claims. This one person was making claims that he uh, had contributed to like advanced mathematics and psychology and that people weren't recognizing him for the genius that he was. And, um, or that there were hallucinogenic plants in the garden and uh, he was the only one who could recognize them so he'd be harvesting them constantly. Uh, but then after a while, you know, they're kind of trying different things, you see people slowly progress and you realize like, oh yeah, that guy's going through what I went through and it's kind of weird when you're in the middle of it. But eventually you reach a point where you're, it's, uh, it's difficult to describe, but you're, you're, you know, you're sure of things that make sense to be sure of, you know? So you know, like, yeah, I, you, you can reason with yourself again in a way that you, you really, it was very difficult to do before. Like, an easy example is questioning an idea. If, if you think something, then can you, in your mind, kind of go through the exercise of saying, maybe this isn't right. Like, what can I think of that would, what kind of evidence would I look for if it wasn't right? Okay, and, and then, like, weigh it out and realize, like, hey, yeah, I wasn't really doing that for a while. So that must have been, because you have to, when you come out of psychosis, you, it's a gradual process, and you have to um, accept that, some of your previous memories were uh, not grounded in reality, but um, sometimes it's difficult to tell when that line is. It's kind of blurry. But if you go back far enough, then you could be like, yeah, clearly three months ago when this was happening, then that was like not, that wasn't solid. But then farther back when this was happening, then I hadn't experienced any of this. So there was a period of something going on. But... Uh, Becoming aware of my mental health was a huge thing that happened while I was incarcerated. And then the second was, it has to do with communication. Because everyone that I was, I mean, I, I was basically in a, my, so my jail experience involved two jails. Uh, and one involves basic, basically solitary, the other one was basically dorm living. Um, but it also involved me being in psychosis and not in psychosis. And for all practical purposes, being like a regular brain was, that came along at the same time as me um, being in a dorm. Although I did have like one month where I was in solitary with a regular brain. It was completely different than, than being in solitary uh, in psychosis. But anyhow, the, the new problem when you're in the dorm Instead of like, okay, how do I spend my day by myself is how do I live with other people, especially people who are all projected to go to prison. So it's not like the people I was used to hanging out with. Um, and ultimately, it involved communication and becoming better at understanding what other people valued and uh, making meaningful statements in some other language that was kind of foreign to me. And by language, I don't mean just words. I mean, I mean body language and um, the way that, again, it, it, it all boils down to values. So, for one, I just thought about conversations very differently when I was in jail because. 
everything basically boiled down to one conversation, which was... What's up, Liz? What's up? I'm just gonna grab my bag. Alright. My bad. I'll catch you later, bro. Alright, man. Later. What was your name? Aditya. Aditya. Come on. Nice to meet you, bro. Nice to meet you. Later, man. Alright. Peace out. Almost every conversation boiled down to, uh, how are you? You know, like, even if you... I felt like no matter what I was talking about, the real thing that I was talking to someone else about was their state of mind right now. Because everyone is in a pressure situation. Because the way that the courts work out, especially for poor people, is that, let's say you may or may not do a crime, you get arrested, you go to jail, and then you meet with a public defender, and you go to court maybe once a month. Right? It's not like every day you're going to court and within five days your case is handled. No, you're a part of a big system of a lot of people going to court. So it's, it's spaced out a little bit. And the part that can bring up so much anxiety is that you don't know how much time you're going to get, but you're still in jail, right? So some people, they get lawyers and you know they get out and they figure things out and then they get sentenced and they go to jail. But for poor people, overwhelmingly, you're just in jail waiting to be sent, waiting to find out how long you're supposed to be in jail. And um, it's so, it seems so wishy-washy because you can only be convicted of the things where they find enough evidence, but they don't go through all of the work initially. They just kind of take a guess at what, they're going to figure out, and then that's the estimated time that you're going to face. But the one thing that you do have power to do is, oh, and I left one thing out, and then when you do go to court, usually after a certain period of time, your public defender will make deals with the DA and say, hey, we've decided that this is a reasonable amount of time, so do you agree with this or not? And you have the power to refuse those deals. The conventional inmate knowledge is you always refuse deals. And I saw this work for many people where they, you know, their first deal was that they'd spend 25 years in prison and they refused it. And then the second deal was that it was 20 years. And by the end, they got it down to eight years, right? So how this, this these decisions get made, I don't know. And most inmates don't know, or at least not the poor ones. But this is a part of the, and, and then it's a month between each of these, these new offers. Um, this is really how a lot of people experience uh, the process. It's just yes or no, right? Uh, okay, wait another month, yes or no. And because none of us see what's in the black box, we don't, a lot of weird theories kind of build up about to explain this oh it's if the DA likes you if you smile at them if you know your public defender is a woman it's this it's that <clears throat> it depends on how your hair is cut that day but it seems it's it all seemed a little ridiculous to me and uh, that was the context of every conversation being the same conversation or at least that's how I felt about it um, whether it was someone telling a joke somebody making a comment here it really, I felt like people were just doing the bare minimum that they had to to stay sane.
And if, with the exception of people talking about crime, then people would really be interested. Or for me, if I could get people to talk about their lives, that was the most fulfilling thing that could happen in a day. Because people live crazy lives, right? One of my quasi-friends from jail was this Romanian guy who uh, was a credit card scammer. And he used to sell methamphetamine legally back in his home country. He finally made it to the United States, lived in Miami, bought... He was, since he was in the business of money, he always had ridiculous amounts of money. So he like bought Porsches and stuff like that, slept with models for a while. And then eventually he's in jail, right? Because that's the end of the road. Um, but it's in, there were some interesting things that had nothing really to do with crime that he would tell me that I think, wow, that's amazing. Like, uh, he would be taking money out of an ATM, and an officer would come by, and he would think he was about to get arrested. But he's also, you know, like a white guy. And the, usually, he said, the police would protect me because they would see me taking money out, and they would think I was a rich person. So they, so I would get away because of that, and I drove a Porsche or whatever. So I eventually found out, oh, yeah, being white in this country, you know, has its benefits, even if you're a credit card scammer. <laughs> 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 they would have respected me more than if you were like an engineer getting your own money out of a thing. So a lot of the times he got away was off of weird social things that he wasn't used to. Um, being in the United States. But anyhow, uh, yeah, I, I think that communication with people who, like, didn't have GEDs and didn't want GEDs was very different than what I was used to. I mean, at the time, I was applying to graduate schools. So um, the types of things that I found interesting weren't interesting to everyone. It basically boiled down to, like, sex, money, drugs, crime. And from there, I had to get creative in how I would make it into something that would be interesting for both of us. Um, yeah, I also started rapping in jail, which was an interest. To me, entertainment is like it's like you're trying to confirm somebody else's cognitive bias, and if you can do it well, then one, you'll entertain them, but two, you'll also know what they think about things. And um, I feel like it really helped me out because it's a format that a lot of people are used to hearing. So um, it was a middle ground. I could work on something all day on my own. It's, it's pretty intellectual work for an inmate. Um, by the way, I also got a probability and stats book, which was pretty cool. The teacher brought it in for me. Um, but uh, I would work on that, and one of the things that, an inmate told me, it was like, yo, one of the reasons why I liked this was because uh, it really represented our, our experience. Because I, I would do certain things with words where i try to use slang that was specific to that pod, or I would talk about just daily grind things. Like, uh, like I said, there are limited resources like chairs, phones, showers, um, whatever. And I would talk about, yeah, this is a part of the grind, is trying to get this thing that's limited at this particular time because if you don't do that then this is the consequence or you, you know whatever and here's some slang for you and uh that was really from from the time that i had performed to 
the day of my release. That's that was like the number one activity after that. And it's the benefit is I don't have to mine other people's experiences because um, you you need a friend in order to talk about your life or talk about their life. But for a rap, you don't need any friends. You could just do it by yourself. And usually you'll make friends if you're a rapper. So, um, you know, people like live performances. So communication or mental health treatment and communication. Mental health education and communication were the two things that changed, you know. Um, how do you communicate? I mean, if you were in an environment where everyone was going to prison, people didn't have GEDs, they don't know or care about robots, their experience is in the world of crime, and you actually you had a little of experience in that world, then where, how do you even start a conversation, you know? And now I'm really good at that. Before, I would just have nothing to say and just have depressing days. And someone might come up to me and say, hey, you know, how you doing, man? I'm like, uh, good, I guess, you know? But now I have a, a game plan when I walk in the door. And it's actually helped me with... I. It's weird, but I mean, people think people are very different. I don't think people are very different anymore. Like, it helps me even in here, where people are very interested in transferring to a university and being doctors and lawyers. Ultimately, I don't immediately talk about drugs, sex, crime, and uh, whatever, but but I have, I have a little bit more strategy in um, how I navigate through conversations, I think, as a direct result of talking to people that... I wasn't used to talking to. This is a little off topic, but when how did your experience change the way you treat people? I, I mean, you've already answered that a little bit, but um, where I'm going at is there's a stigma in, in not only this country, but almost everywhere. If somebody is incarcerated and they're like living freely now, there's a stigma against them. So my two questions are, when people learn that you have been incarcerated, do they treat you differently? And if so, how? And also, after your experience, do you look at people and treat people differently? When people learn, so I'm somewhat selective over who I share uh, my incarceration experiences with but I really have realized especially this quarter more than any other that I don't even have to be that selective because people select themselves meaning that I usually think I, I like being around curious people smart people um, people especially who are driven toward um, like personal projects but and, and and those are the people who I would like to share this with mainly because whenever I'm talking about my incarcerated experience the point of the story usually isn't to tell you about my incarcerated experience there's usually a larger point that I'm trying to make so the reason why I, I try to share it with those people is because I know that they're not going to miss the point Versus with other people, if if I'm telling, you know, some story and it involves me mentioning that I'm incarcerated, then suddenly for them, they completely lose the, you know, they stop following the story and they only 
stick with you know the buzzword basically they, they get fixated on that one thing right and they might and which would be fine if you understand the story then get fixated right if you if, if you have both right but if you don't have both it's almost like if somebody misunderstands a uh, a particularly rude joke you know it's like yes it's rude that is a part of it but usually there's a larger thing that and that's why it's funny despite the fact that it's rude blah 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 or it's ironic that it's rude or it's this or it's that but you need to be able to read into that in order to even understand what I'm talking about and um what I've noticed is, so that was my fear, was that I'll, I'm going to share something and people are going to misunderstand it. Now what I realize is, if I behave a certain way up front, people who aren't very curious won't even ask further. Um, such that they don't even... I, it's not even that I have to hide anything, it's just that it would never come up because they would never be curious about my life. So, uh, for instance, I could say, uh, I took some time off school. And for a lot of people, that would be enough. And for the person who says, hmm, what did you do in your time off school, right? It's likely that I would want to share the real, the real story with that person because, uh, given a number of other things, of course, uh, that wouldn't be the only metric. But for this example, I would probably want to share what happened with that person because... I want to know what makes them curious about me, and I want to know if that's if a part of how their mind works is that hmm something vague was here. Let me figure out more details. Then they might actually enjoy. They might actually want to get to know me, right? Because I I think like that in a lot of cases, and there are a lot of things that I can show you that would excite you, that you would find meaningful, and and I don't see this part of my life as. Uh, um, a hindrance for that. In fact, the f looking at what I've done before and after that period, it doesn't even define me. Um, but your curiosity might be an area where the two of us can connect. So uh, for those people, surprisingly, they don't care at all. Um, and I've made a couple of uh, examples of that dramatic by recording them on the podcast. But... Uh, there was one example where it was just followed by a joke. I told some long story, and then it was just followed by a joke, and then we continued on talking about whatever we were talking about, which was like sustainability <laughs> in San Jose. So like for that person, it's a non-issue. Um, one person thought that I was lying um, to make myself sound more interesting. Um, but other than that, people usually... I mean, let's be honest, most people want to talk about themselves, myself included, <laughs> right? So they really don't give a fuck about what somebody else's life was like. As long as, like, right now you're doing well, okay? You know, I mean, if somebody meets me right now, I'm working as a tutor, I'm in a specialized math class, it's just me and my professor, and we're going over proofs. Um, I'm quasi-accepted already to a couple of schools. So it's like... I'm already in a good enough position where it doesn't even make sense anymore to uh, for it to be a central issue. Um, oh, and then of course, my favorite example. I told you I wrote a lot of raps when I was in jail. I came to the Anza to this rapping group, and uh, I told them like, "Yeah, I just got out of jail, and I wanted to, I want to make this thing into like a mixtape." Does anybody like know anything about that? And they were like, uh, "You know." 
try SoundCloud or something like that, like very nonchalant, to the point where now almost every time that I meet up with them, uh, I mention something jail related, and they're like, "What? You were in jail?" And then I was like, "Yeah, the first day that I met you guys." <laughs> like some people, it doesn't even it doesn't even settle in their minds because the I guess the way I am in person is so far off from what they expect from an inmate which I'm not an inmate, but from someone who's been incarcerated. Former that the, inmate. Yeah, former inmate. That they don't even, they probably thought I was joking or something, but if they listen to the songs, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it, there's a wide range of reactions, but usually boils down to two things. One, sometimes directly I filter for, like, people who are smart, curious, or it's relevant to whatever the conversation's going to be about. Or two... Even when I don't try to filter, people do it for me because they just don't care enough to ask any questions or to uh, find out about my life previous to when they met me. So I don't really, I haven't had any trouble so far, but I'm still going to, you know, be cautious. I don't know too many people. I guess there is a bias for more understanding and open-minded people in a college environment and maybe even the Bay Area whereas if you go I don't know like someplace that's more intolerant someplace that's more reserved I, I think generally speaking there might be a different set of reactions right or not even different but a, a different representation of how people would react now, here's an interesting thing about being a former inmate is expungement. So it's possible to get your record cleared um, for basically everyone except government organizations. So if Google does a background check and you've got your charges or whatever expunged, then it will show up as you not having, not even being arrested, apparently. Um, so it's legal, therefore, after you get expunged for you to say i have not i have not ever committed a felony which is obviously false right but it's legal but it's illegal yeah so uh now here's what is 100% solid are you well actually it's not too solid are you a felon well i mean after you get it expunged i mean i think that to me is it makes more sense to say, no, I am not a felon. I do not have the status of a felon. But have you ever done it? Well, you did do it. It's just you got it removed after you've done it, right? So, That's a good so, so it's kind of like uh, this weird thing. But anyhow, at some point in the future, I've already gotten uh, technically half of my charges expunged. So within the... So I have not ever committed a felony in Santa Clara County. But that's also false, so it's a contradiction. But, but for the record, um, except government organizations. Uh, but in other counties, they have not been expunged yet. So um, just to piggyback off of the conversation about re, you know, telling people about my experience as an inmate, Eventually, there will be a point where it's not even going to be... It, like, since it's illegal for me to just lie 
it's not even going to be in my best interest to say it unless there's some larger point that I'm making which involves me uh, being in a jail cell or being in a dorm. So. Have you gained any privileges or lost any privileges because of your experience? Not Definitely only like lost, legal, yeah. I mean, I can. I don't even think I'm allowed to travel right now without letting somebody know. Oh wow. Yeah, uh, for sure lost them, man. I mean, here's something that you lose even if you didn't do a crime, but you go to jail. When you go to jail, inmates carry drugs in their anus, right? So when you come in everyone gets their ass checked which is not a great experience if you know nothing about it like all right i'm going to jail i guess what's jail all about and then the guard calls you all right pull down your pants spread your cheeks cough like what really he's like do it now it's illegal to not do this (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's how i always mark the moment when you're really an inmate is like, although, actually that's not true. That's the moment when you go to jail. The moment when you're an inmate is when you understand jail as the other inmates see it. When you understand all the status games, not all of them, but you understand the status games. You understand the economy, the bartering economy that's developed. You understand the different groups and how races interact. You understand the way police interact with inmates. You understand the way the phones work. You understand the way the chairs work, the TV remote, who gets what, who's head honcho, who's not. You know, what are the punishments for different people? That's when you're really an inmate. Because then you're just living, right? It's not even like you're, you're doing time, but it's closer. The better descriptor is that you've accepted that you're living in this alternate society instead of the regular society. And not only have you accepted it, but you're participating in it in such a way that you're getting rewards from it. And that's, you don't really understand until you get the rewards. Like, why are people doing things this way? Then you do it and you're like, oh, this is a better experience for sure. And there's like certainly three or four things like that. And when you understand all of them and you're participating in all of them and it's the norm for you, that's when you're really an enemy. Or at least that's what we thought. That's some dude told me, yeah, you're an inmate now, man. (laughs) What are you talking about? I've been an inmate. (laughs) But two months in, I always say, is roughly the amount of time for me. Well, the thing was, two months in to a dorm, but I already was in jail for like over a year. So that's not a fair descriptor. But two months in was the amount of time for me that I was like, oh, this is what's really going on. That makes sense. You said something earlier about um, how you're selective about who you reveal stuff about yourself to, and it and it boils down to curiosity to some extent. I can actually relate quite a bit to that because, I mean, I wouldn't like. I don't know how you see your experience. Um, is it, would you call it like a big secret or? or no, like if, because I if, podcast it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a secret except to people who, you know, are interested enough to listen. But the, my idea of it is this. I want to create 
a uh, I think of it like a movie setup where I do all the work and then I release it, right? And you might like it, you might hate it. It might be a blockbuster hit or whatever. But the movie's done, and I just get the satisfaction out of filming the movie. Like the I'm like that type of director or whatever. So that plays out because I instead of movies, instead of pictures, whatever. Although I do make pictures less and less often, but whatever. I think the conversations that I get to have are some of the most. The some it. It's the part of my life that I enjoy the like it's one of the top three things that I enjoy about being alive um, and I think it's a privilege I, and I wish that certain ways of going about conversations were more widespread um, but I also understand that it's not interesting to everyone so I do the middle ground where I make things that I like and who knows maybe when I'm 50 I'll listen to it again but I make things that I like, and I make things that I think are interesting by whatever standard I want, 100% creative freedom, bad equipment most of the time. <laughs> and then from there, I post it, right? And if somebody comes up to me and they really want to know more information, well, there's an archive already built up, right? So I could just refer them to something else. And... Um, in that sense, potentially, everyone could hear, you know, whatever they want to know about me. But on the flip side, how many people are actually interested? Well, I don't know, right? So I don't put a big deal, a great deal of energy into thinking about marketing at all. I just try to make good stuff and make sure that it's out so that the people who directly are in contact with me, I can refer them personally but in the long term, the way these things generally grow is that people who like it share it with people who they think will like it. And then that's, you know, two degrees of freedom away from me or whatever. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's like the movie model in that once the movie is made, I'm really out of it, you know. But if other people like the movie, then maybe they'll recommend it. And uh, but but the movie is just things that I'm interested in, and um, I actually tried to start one way before I started. My brain started melting <laughs> because I was at a, a historically black college, and uh, some of my best friends were like architects and engineering students, architecture students and engineering students, and we would always talk about what we thought the future was going to be like. And I thought, wow, this could be really inspirational for little uh, African kids, African Americans or whatever, um, if they knew that uh, if this were out in the universe at the same time as like music videos and stuff like that. Um, because we all value this. So, and if no one likes it, that's also fine because we enjoyed doing it. Uh, but it didn't work out that way. So the first opportunity that I had to do something like this it just so happened it was right after I had a psychotic break and got out of jail, right? So my idea of like, oh, engineering science really was secondary to like, whoa, that was a crazy year, you know? So uh, I started off just talking about that. And my, compu my, my community was different. My network was different. Now I was around recovering addicts people who had schizophrenia, just a whole different demographic. People who had all been to jail or prison. So 
it was natural to begin discussing these things. But again, that was my genuine interest at the time. Now, you know, like I said, in the future, it may be writing proofs that I'm interested in, right? It just so happens that when I started, that was also the stuff that I was interested in. But if we were to go back to high school, I was pretty much the same brain um, philosophically. I just had less information, and I would it would have been about something completely different. So, yeah, it is a secret, but it's not a secret in the sense that I have to do any amount of work to keep it a secret, or that people can't access it. Um, it's just a secret in the sense that I wouldn't go out of my way to share it, or I would be willing to filter myself in certain situations to avoid spreading that information. Makes sense. <clears throat> I mean, my my big secret is this. If you don't know, this this is the these are the colors for trans pride. Okay. And that's my big secret, and it's something that I have gone my entire life. Avoiding talking about and stuff. Which, by the way, I was thinking this today. Can I interview you? I actually have new questions related to uh, sexuality. Yes. Okay, cool. Not today, though. Not today, yeah, though. Yeah, 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 another time. So, like, I mean, I don't know, like, different people have different filters and different ways they think, but for me, I go out of my way to fit into like, gender norms and stuff, until I'm independent to break those norms. Yeah. So, but, you know, as as I progress, both academically and mentally, I start to realize, like, why bother? Like, why, why should I fit into those molds that society expects you to fit into? And which is why I do gender non-conforming things. And it, it makes me like, it, it just, it's, it's just kind of like a, a sense of, vin, what is that, vindication? Is that what it's called? I don't know, man. That just reminds me of this Rick and Morty episode. <laughs> I never looked up the word to vindicate. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, if somebody like, I usually skirt the topic in conversation, and if somebody, like, presses for more information, I usually go ahead and just reveal it to them, because chances are, if you're if you're really that interested, then you're not going to react poorly, and nine times out of ten, that has been the case. So, I can definitely relate to that, hmm. from what you said. Going back to the criminal justice system, if, like, hypothetically, let's say you could design your own system, you could design your own world, how would you, how would you design a system that's different from what we have now? Uh, a big thing that, uh, it, yeah, a big thing that I don't, I don't think this is possible in the short term, so... But I think this is a good long-term goal, is to think about the criminal justice system in terms of brains and psychology rather than people. Um, now, that may sound inhumane to some, but... Brains or minds? Well, 
I would say, uh, I guess mines would be proper because there's no. But I suspect that brands will be the final answer. <laughs> and the only reason why, well, this is how I, I am interpreting your distinction. I don't know if this is actually the case. But mines are suspected to be emergent from brains, but it hasn't been shown. So if you say brains, you might not be talking about the mind. Yeah. So minds is, is what I mean, but I, you know, suspect that it'll be brains because I don't see any reason why not, but you're right. Minds. Um, or just psychology directly, for sure. Um, because the reason why people do what they do does not fit the model of punishment. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, in the far enough future, we realize that things that people get a life sentence for are actually things that could be addressed in five years or less um, through a different approach. It just depends on what you're trying to do. The assumption now is kind of retributive. I think that's the word, which is that you've done something wrong, so you should be punished, so you should suffer. But their treatment really doesn't take that approach, and it's certainly for mental health cases like me, it's a lot more effective, which is not that you should be punished, but let's see what's happening. Let's see what's going wrong, or let's see how we can correct for this. And suffering is not always a uh, the best way of correcting for something. Um, in a lot of cases, like I said, um, a part of the reason why people return to jail or prison is simply because they can't move. They're too poor to move. If everyone in your neighborhood is doing, you know, dirt, X, Y, and Z, and you're, when you leave, you go back there, eventually you're going to connect with your old networks, and that is the natural outcome of you being around that old network. And it's not a matter, and again, the, the, it changes from an individual's conscious decisions to do X, Y, and Z, and everyone having an equal playing field to realizing, no, there are advantages and disadvantages. And if you're from this area and you're in this situation, you don't have the same options as someone else. And right now, not only is the system not acknowledging that, but I think I mentioned this before, it doubles down on those people who, in the future, I suspect we will consider uh, less fortunate, less fortunate brains or minds. Um, not less moral people. Um, and I think the gang enhancement is a great example of that, where someone who's more likely than not born into a neighborhood where gang violence exists is going to be punished more harshly for doing things which in some cases are aggressive, in other cases are self-defense. And the court does not distinguish between these two. Um, not enough, in my opinion. I, I, maybe it does, but... I don't think enough on a mass scale. So, uh, yeah, thinking of things in terms of minds, psychology, looking at several different factors, you know, looking at true causes and effects rather than the assumption that everything is the result of, like, your free will decision to do this, uh, rather considering what were the options. Um, but in the short term... Everyone, I, in the short term, there should be more like criminal thinking treatment and probation, like mandatory classes in, in criminal thinking, because that's a real thing people need to be aware of. 
is that basically your brain is, when you are a serious criminal, your brain is wired in a certain way, such that it's different from the average person. It's, and I guess I shouldn't say wired in a certain way. I don't know if it's wired in a certain way, but it, the the reward systems in your brain have been... Compromised? Well, just the entire schema of, of, of the, the entire algorithm in your head is different than the average person's algorithm because you're living for different rewards than the average person and you're willing to sacrifice different things to get those rewards. And it can become like an addiction almost where, you know, doing extreme things like robbing people and, uh, you know, violent things, um, these things have a, 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 a response in your mind. And if you have them enough times in a row under the right circumstances, then you will think about the world very differently than if you if you never had those. And one of the consequent one of the downsides is it's very difficult to change your mind when you have these kind of I don't know chemical alignments or whatever in your brain that are saying this is a reward, this is a reward, this is a reward. When in reality that's something that's causing you one more trouble, whereas a regular person would never even consider that as a reward. Wait. On that note, it's, it's time for it, me to go. Yeah. All I was right. about to say that. Uh, another time, maybe even next week. I'm a real tigger, I got triggers. Dip her in honey, I will lick her like Pooh Bear. I'm too rare, you care bears, your crew scared. Tape here when the fam's near. Cheap shit, that's out. Weekends in the kitchen, off the deep end, but I'm living. Ooh, cleaner than soapbox. The Chef of X podcast. Mmm, delicious. <laughs>